powerful words uh, that are, <laughs> should go deep into our soul, just recognizing who we are, what we've done, where we've been, and realizing His mercy is more than all of that. And we are going to be continuing our series in the book of John, but you'll notice I'm going to be doing what I call mini-series within the series, so that we don't get bored just saying the book of John, but we can say different things that are coming up. And so we're going to be doing a two-part series on this theme of Can I Get a Witness? And it's this, the theme of John the Baptist looking at his life as a witness to the coming Christ, what Christ was going to do and who he was going to be, and when he sees him, pointing him out. And so I'm going to pray, and then we are going to jump right into the book of John. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. And this is going to be part one, and can I get a witness? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that we can sing songs of truth, that your mercy is more. Father, you empower us, you strengthen us, you renew us. So God, I pray that right now as we open up your scriptures, as we continue in worship, that you will speak deeply to our hearts. Father, I thank you for your word, which is powerful, which is living, which is not just something that had been spoken, but something that is continually speaking. For it is the word of the living, breathing, loving God. We pray that you will speak to our hearts, that it's not just education, that we're not looking to learn something new, but we're looking to become someone new. Because every time we open up the scriptures, it has the power to transform us, and I pray that we will allow that this morning. Be with us now, Holy Spirit, come. In your name, amen. Amen. I remember uh, one night when Hillary and I, we, we lived in Nyack, New York, which is where I was a pastor for about three and a half years and where we went to college. And we were on our way back to the college. We were just at uh, Dunkin' Donuts, and it was a really, really bad day, full of snow, snow of ice, full of ice and snow. And, and as, we're, as we're driving back, we are behind this one car, and all of a sudden we see this car slip on black ice and twirl all around and crash into a bridge pillar. Now, we were kind of freaked out. We thought, man, what is going on? It was a really bad accident. But we, we pulled over. I got out of the car, and I went to go check on the people that were inside this vehicle because it was a nasty, nasty accident. And I get there, and the driver, he's passed out, knocked out, bleeding from the head. The passenger is the same way. But there were three people in the back, and a couple of them were bloodied up a little bit. But inside the car, there was a mom holding a baby. The baby was not in a car seat. The baby in this, this scenario should not have lived. It was that bad of an accident. But there, this baby was untouched. Nothing happened to this baby. Everyone else in this entire vehicle was bloodied up and banged up and hurt. And so the mom, she rolled down the window as much as she could and she said, Could you please take the baby and so I grabbed the baby out and I put the baby in my coat, called 911, and we waited for the cops to come. And everyone else was trying to get out of the window. I was trying to help them out of the window as well. And when the cops came, I had to give a witness to what happened. I had to share with them what had happened. 
And not only did I feel like I, I had to share with the cops, but I, I saw this miracle unfold where this baby was alive. And so I tell this story as often as I can because man, only God could do something like that. In the midst of a tragic accident where this baby was not in a car seat and this baby should not have lived, was untouched. It's a powerful story of God's miracles because I believe that God intervened in that very moment. Why do I share that with you is because I believe that you and I, we have things that we see, we have things that we've done, we, we know a God who we should be talking about, who we should be giving witness to, who we should be sharing about what he has done, the greatness of God, because when we're privy to good information, we should share it. If we see something that unfolds, like I had to share with the police what had happened, it was my responsibility as a citizen to give witness. You see, even though we understand that, as Christians, we look at the scriptures and we know I'm called to give an account, I'm called to witness to the greatness of Jesus, it could be really easy to become spectator Christians. It could be really easy to just sit on the sidelines and let the missionaries and the pastors and the church elders do all the work and be the witness that they have to be and should be. You see, but that's not the case for Christians. The scriptures call us clearly that we are to be a witness. Every Christian has a kingdom call to bear witness. Every single one of us has a kingdom call to bear witness. Just like I had to bear witness at the scene of that accident, and I bear witness about the greatness of God in the midst of that baby's life, that miraculous moment, we are called to bear witness to the goodness, to the greatness, to the power of a living, loving God. But many times we don't. Maybe we don't understand how to be an effective witness in this world. And I believe that the, the story of John the Baptist this week and next week give us great tools, great ideas on how you and I are to be effective witnesses. And so as we open up this passage of Scripture, I believe that the question that we should be answering is, how can we be effective witnesses in this world? How can we be effective witnesses in this world? So if you'd open the book of John... Chapter 1, verses 19 through 28 with me. And I believe it's going to be on the screen, and so I, I will read this now. John, chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah had said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. See, the, the Baptist is what I'm going to call him because it can be really confusing when we talk about John in the book of John. So I'm going to call him the Baptist. The Baptist was a very special man. 
It's intriguing to look at his life and see kind of how he lived in the desert where he was wearing really weird clothes and eating honey. Some people thought that he was a lunatic. When they looked at John the Baptist, they thought, this guy is a little bit crazy. He's, he's gone off the deep end. But other people thought, he must be the Christ. He must be the Messiah. And the Pharisees, the Levites, the priests, they all got really scared because he was getting crowd after crowd after crowd after crowd. And so they're like, who is this guy? We've got to figure it out. Because if he's the Christ, we've got to be on the right side of this dude. And if he's not, then we've got to figure out how we can bury this dude. And so they tried to figure out, who is he? We've got to go after him. And not many, not many people thought he was a supreme lunatic after meeting him. They all thought he might be the Messiah because he was preaching a powerful message of repentance, of turning back to the Lord. And so they asked the question, who are you? They began to interrogate him because they needed to know. And John, he kind of skirted the issue a little bit, and finally they got a little bit upset. As we'll see, they're like, who are you then? Right? Who are you? And John the Baptist was one amazing man who loved the Lord and loved his message the anticipation of the Messiah during this time was so high. If you look at the history of John the Baptist and the time before Jesus, about 100 years in this time, about 100 years in, in, in that whole time before him, there was all kinds of different false messiahs that came up, and there was all kinds of different wars that had happened, and it was kind of a chaotic time, but there was this anticipation of it's almost time. We've got to wait. Who is the Messiah? So every time they turned around, they were asking the question, are you the Messiah? Where is he? But John gives us some great tools about bearing witness because he was, not, he was not the word. He was simply a witness of the word. So what's the first thing that we can see about how you and I can be an effective witness in the world? I believe the first thing that John the Baptist shows us is that effective witness hinges on humility. Effective witness hinges on humility. If you look at this story, when the guys came up to him, these Levites and these priests, they said to John the Baptist, are you this guy? Are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet then? No. But if you look at this story, there was kind of given softballs to John the Baptist. He could have at any moment said, yep, that's me. I'm going to take all the credit. I'm going to be the Messiah. I'm going to be the prophet. I'm going to be Elijah. I'm going to tell you all how awesome I am. Look at these crowds. It's because, yes, I am the Messiah. Or, yes, I am Elijah. Or, yes, I am the prophet. At any moment, he could have said yes to those questions. Now, there would have been severe ramifications of saying those. But he knew that that's not who he was. He leaned into humility, understanding that his purpose in life was to bring a voice in the darkness to the one that is coming. He recognized with humility his position in life. In verse 20, he states, it states, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He took time to confess twice. John, in the book of John, clearly says he denied and he confessed twice. That's an important understanding of the humility of John the Baptist. He was trying to make them understand who you think I am is not who I am. He leaned into humility. We can also see in this is that humility helps us understand who we are and who we are not. What I mean by that is if we see ourselves rightly, 
If we admit to ourselves that we are not as amazing or as incredible as we think we are. When we realize who we really are before a mighty, awesome, powerful king. We will not be able to boast in and of ourselves. In fact, in Romans 12, 3, it says, Do not think too highly of yourselves. And here, John the Baptist gives us a perfect image of what that looks like. He was humble. He knew his purpose. He knew who he was. And he did not try and take on those identities that those folks were trying to give him. Again, just see how easy it would have been for him to say, yep, that's me. I don't think that when we look at that, we really take that, for, we really take that issue for granted. We don't really look at that in that way. But at any moment, he could have lied about his identity. But he knew who he was, and he leaned into his humility. He did not look at himself any higher than he should. He lived a humble life. If you and I are to be effective witnesses in this world, we need to be humble enough to recognize that it's not about us. Our very lives, our very Christian existence as believers has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. As we talked about last week, the whole scripture points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. And so why would we think that we're different? Everything should point to Jesus. If that's the point of the scripture, it should be the point of the believer's life. And John the Baptist got it. He pointed to Christ. And that some people don't think that he yet knew who the Christ was. He was just preparing the way. That many people speculate that John the Baptist didn't know who the Christ was until he saw the Holy Spirit come upon him. I, I would believe that. Because he lived with Jesus as his cousin. And he probably would have said, it's my cousin. If he would have really known. I think God kept it from him for a moment so that Excuse me, so he could just prepare the way, not knowing necessarily who it was, but knowing that it wasn't himself. And he admitted that with full humility. I think sometimes when it comes to people in our lives that we want to witness to, many times we might feel like the Savior. Oh, I've got to bring them to Jesus. Or, oh, I've got to do this. Or, oh, I've got to do that. But when we live in the humility, we recognize it's all on him and has nothing to do with us. We are just simply vessels. Humility helps us understand who we are and who we are not. He says something very humble as well in this passage. <coughs> Excuse me. He talks about the, the power of Christ and the knowledge of who the Messiah is. And he says, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Wow, that is some powerful humility. He's saying, you guys might think I'm great because I've got all kinds of crowds and I've been able to be used by God to baptize people, but guess what? I'm a nobody. I'm a bum. I'm, a, I'm someone on the street who literally just eats honey and wears really weird clothes. I'm nothing. The one who comes, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. Now think about that. Like, if I were to go up to Phil and say, I'm not worthy to untie your sandal, like his shoe, it's not really that big of a deal. But there's that power of humility. 
In fact, in the Jewish times, one commentator says that it was a task judged too menial, even for a disciple. Someone who was following as a disciple, it was too menial of a task. It was set for the the slaves who would wash the feet. And he's saying, I'm lower than the slave who washes feet. I'm a bum, but he is good. This probably blew the Levites and the priests and the Pharisees away because they loved how awesome they were. They were very arrogant religious men. And so for him to say, you guys think I'm kind of cool, but I'm really not. But the one who's coming, he's awesome. Wait, because it's going to be great. It is going to be awesome. It's going to be fantastic. And he's pointing to Jesus But they asked him again and again, are you this, are you this, are you this? But he leaned into continual humility. And so I believe for you and for me to be effective witnesses in this world, continual continual humility helps a believer be a consistent witness. Continual humility helps a believer be a consistent witness. You can't just be humble once. We could say, oh man, I got this message of humility. Great. And you go out and you're humble once and then you stop being humble. If we're going to be a a continual, consistent witness in this world, we've got to live and breathe humility. One of the things that, that people are so frustrated about in our society when it comes to Christians, not Christianity per se, but to Christians, is that they are arrogant, that they don't listen that they don't care, that they look at you and say, you're a bum, I'm great, because I know all of this great stuff, goodbye. But there's no willingness to be humble and say, you know what, God brought me from this to this. You might think that everything is awful in your life, but I know that God can bring you out, because let me share with you my story. Many times we don't lead with that humility, we lead with arrogance. I've found it true in my own life. But here, John the Baptist, he doesn't even make fun of them. He doesn't even tease them. He doesn't even say anything bad about the people who are asking him questions. He simply humbly answers the question and says, it's not about me. It's about the one that's coming. You and I, we've got to ask the Holy Spirit to give us constant humility. And that shows up in many different ways. When we're humble enough to serve those people that are in our job that maybe we think are less than us, or when we serve the community in humility with the people that we think might be less than us, when we live in that type of humility as well, that is a powerful message to the love of Jesus. That is the humility that our world needs to see. John the Baptist gave a beautiful picture of this humility where he was continuously saying, no, that's not who I am. No, that's not who I am. And he would say as he was baptizing, this is baptizing you in repentance, getting you ready for the way, getting you ready to listen and be expectant of the Messiah who's coming. He didn't even make the baptism about himself at all. It was always about Jesus. And so you and I, we need to lean into humility. Our witness can be affected if we live in arrogance instead of humility. Are we proud and hoity-toity or are we living in humility and saying it's all about him? I've got nothing. That is a powerful testament to who Jesus is. We must live in such a way that we seek to continually put the spotlight on Jesus and not ourselves.
The spotlight should always be on Jesus. That's one of the reasons why I love the book of John. The entire book of John, the spotlight is on Jesus. It's the brightest light. It's saying, look, he's the one. This is who it's all about. Get it. Listen to what he says. He is the most important thing. And I think even in our own lives, we can forget that. We can forget that he is the most important thing. Thing He is the most important person. But when he is at the top of our list, when he is the number one, things that fall underneath him just seem to work better. And so let me challenge you to live into humility and to make him the spotlight of your life. The next thing that we can see from the story of John the Baptist in this specific passage of getting, giving a witness is that knowing our identity fuels effective witness. Knowing our identity fuels effective witness. You see, his humility, John the Baptist's humility, gave him the ability to see who he really was. In the grand scheme of the purpose of the kingdom, he was able to see who he was, and he was able to see who he was not. Like I've said several times in, our, in, in the time together, in the nine months that I've been a pastor here at the church, the enemy's goal is always to attack either our identity or the identity of God. When he can mess up our identity or skew our, our view of ourselves, he's got us in a grip. Because we might think, oh, well, God doesn't love me. I'm such a terrible bum. Like I've got, I am nothing and and I've got nothing to offer and I'm terrible because of my sins. God could never love me. You see, that's a lie about our identity. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. It does say that we have nothing to offer, but he gives us something to offer, that he fills us, that he forgives us, that he blesses us, that he encourages us, that he fills us with his spirit to make us the person that he's created us to be. We have an identity as sons and daughters in the kingdom of Christ. But when we miss that, when we forget that, all other things kind of fall apart. And we, when we have a false identity of who God is, the same thing happens. When we look at him as something other than he is, a loving father who wants to correct and direct our lives. When we miss that, we see a different God and that ruins and skews our ability to live the Christian life. But our personal identity, knowing our identity, fuels effective witness Because that's where we can give testimony. That's where we can give witness and say, man, this is where I was. This is who I was. But look at who I am today. Look at what he has done in my life. Look at how he has transformed me. John knew his identity. John the Baptist was a man who knew who he was and he knew what his purpose was. So finally, he, they, they asked him, are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. They get really frustrated. They're like, listen, we have got to give an answer to the people who sent us to you. And we really kind of want to know, who are you? It was kind of an annoyance thing. Have you ever asked your kids a couple questions and they just say, no, no, no. You're like, well, what's the answer then? Right? That's kind of where these guys were at with John the Baptist. Like, well, okay, well, then who are you? And then he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3. And that's why we read it today during worship. He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet 
Isaiah said. Remember, we talked about last week how the book of John continuously harkens back to the Old Testament. Here it happens again. He is saying, listen, all of this stuff in the Bible, it's making way for you to understand that it's all about the coming Messiah. I know who I am. I know my role. I am not the word, but I am the voice. I am the one who is giving witness. I am the one who is pointing to. I am the one who's being used to kind of get everybody rallied to prepare the way for the one who is going to come. He said, that's who I am. That's what I'm about. That is my goal and my very essence in life is to bring about a witness to the coming Messiah. That's powerful. He knew his identity. John the Baptist is also, what's, what's really interesting is if you look at Old Testament imagery and New Testament imagery, this idea of prepare the way, making a way, a voice in the wilderness, all of this harkens back to the book of Exodus where they wandered around in the wilderness. He's saying, listen, when the Messiah comes, it's going to be the new exodus. I'm like the person that's going around to the Israelites saying, get ready, get your loaves of bread, get your carts ready, come on, let's get going, let's get your kids all together, get the unleavened bread packed, let's get moving. He said, that's my job. It's to say, listen, the exodus is coming. We're all going to get free. We're all going to move forward. That's what he was about. And we look at the Old Testament and we say, wow, that's powerful imagery. And we think maybe that story is just there, but it's also a prophetic image. All of Scripture points to Jesus. And he brings us back. Listen, even the very point of where John the Baptist lived was about his identity. He lived in the desert. Where did the Israelites wander around? in the desert. He was making a point with everything he did. He was so convinced of his identity that his clothes and where he laid his head pointed to who he was. Is that how we live in our identity with Christ? Do we understand who we are so much that what we wear and that where we live is consistent with who we are? That's a powerful question. It's really intriguing to see how much his identity was wrapped up into everything that he did. The desert had been the place of God's gathering and deliverance of his people from the slavery in Egypt. And John lived purposefully in the desert. A believer's life should lead to, the, to conversations about their identity. A believer's life should lead to conversations about their identity. Let me, see, let me share with you what I mean. Because John was living in the desert, because John was baptizing people, because John was speaking of a new exodus, because he knew who he was and he was living in the humility of understanding that it wasn't about him, his life drew people to ask questions. His life was so phenomenal that it was gathering people to who he was and it was scaring the religious leaders of that day because they needed to find out who he was. The way he lived his life led people to ask him who he was. Is the same true about you and me? Because when it talks about giving a witness, our life should be a witness. 
Remember last week we talked about the words and our lives, our works and our words. Are our words and our works leading people to ask us who we are? Who are you that you do these different things? What, what's going on in your life? Why are you so loving? Why are you so humble? Why are you so patient? Why are you so kind? Why are you so caring? The way we live our lives should lead to conversations about our identity. And so if you've not been having a lot of conversations about your identity, let me just challenge you. This may not be the case, but let me just challenge you to look and say, am I living in humility? Am I living so much into my identity that people are asking because of my life who I am? It's a powerful question, and it's a tough one. It's not an easy question. Sometimes the Bible steps on us a little bit. It's not all fluffy. None of it is fluffy. Sometimes we get a little bit uncomfortable, and that's good. That means that the Bible is doing what it's supposed to be doing. If we read the Bible, it's like, oh, yeah, I got, I got that down, I got that. Wow, I'm really good. Then we'd, we'd be doing the wrong thing. To, to give a little bit of a different imagery of this, I know the great literary work, Lord of the Rings. Many of you may or may not like Lord of the Rings. You might like the books, you might like the movies, you might not like any of it. I love it all, right? Lord of the Rings is so good. And Tolkien, he, he didn't write it purposely to be an allegory. In fact, he said, no, I didn't write it to be an allegory, but it's an allegory. <laughs> Sorry. But one of the greatest parts of the story is the story of Aragorn, son of Arathorn. His whole life is wrapped up in who he is. He tried to run away from his identity. Here's who he is. He's the king of Gondor, the one who's supposed to bring in the new era of all of Middle-earth. He's the only one that can bring the, the change and the salvation to the entirety of Middle-earth. It's him, but he runs away. You look at the first two books, he runs away from his identity. He just keeps hiding. He's just not living into who he is. But finally, when he steps out of the shadows with his identity, and he says, yes, I'm the king, and he uses that sword to get all of the, the army that needs to be set free, they come in and they annihilate all the, the terrible, terrible Lord of Sauron, Oaks, orcs, and all that kind of thing. It changes the whole reality of Middle Earth. The cool thing is, is that when you and I live into our identity, the identity that God has given us, it's like Aragorn, son of Arathorn, coming out and saying, I am this person. The enemy can't handle you and I living into our God-given identities. When we know who we are, sons and daughters of the king, that can change and transform this world by the power of the Holy Spirit, the enemy's really scared. Because we stand firm, and we stand strong in who we are. Not because we think we're anything special, but because we know that he is someone special. It changes how we live. It changes how the enemy can attack or, or the, the rule of the enemy in our lives. It changes things when we live in our identity. You see, believers are transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Even living into the image of Christ, being transformed into the image of Christ, isn't about just us. It's for the sake of others. When Aragorn, son of Arathorn, stepped into his identity, it wasn't just for him. It was for all of Middle-earth. 
We live into our identity. We must live into our identity for the sake of the world. John the Baptist understood that. He understood that his identity was bringing in the new exodus, pointing to Christ, but that his very existence was going to change the world. Not because he was anything special, but because that's who he was. He was just confirmed and confident in his own identity. Do we understand that living into that is for the sake of the world? That's not to put a lot of pressure on us saying, oh, you gotta live into your identity for the sake of the world, but it's to understand that there are eternal ramifications for us living or not living into our God-given identities as believers. He was convinced of his identity, but Humility led to to John the Baptist understanding his identity, and his identity led to him understanding his purpose. He understood his purpose. And I believe that every believer has a kingdom-sized purpose. Just like John the Baptist had a kingdom-sized purpose, I believe that every believer has a kingdom-sized purpose. Humility leads to identity, which leads to our purpose Not only was he quoting the scripture, but he said, listen, this is my purpose. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. My purpose is to baptize, to be a voice in the the wilderness, to draw people, to point people to Jesus. That's my purpose. Every believer has a kingdom-sized purpose. What's yours? What's the purpose that God has put into you and your life. Once you can humbly admit who you are and who you are not, and you live into your identity, man, God wants to give you your kingdom-sized purpose. And I think many times for Christians, it's really easy to say, oh, well, missionaries and pastors, that's, those are the people with kingdom-sized purpose. That's not true. We're just that one cog in this beautiful thing called the Bride of Christ. We're a very small part as ministers because we're all ministers. We all have a kingdom-sized purpose. Where has God placed you? What are your gifts? How has God designed you? You see, John the Baptist was perfectly designed for what he did. Not everybody could wear camel hair clothes and, and, and eat honey and live in a desert by themselves and scream like a lunatic. Not everybody could be that person. But you have a kingdom-sized purpose. You have gifts that God has given you. You have capabilities and abilities that God has given to you. Do you know what that purpose is on this world? I pray that you go after the Lord and say, what is my purpose? What am I to do? What kingdom-sized work do you have for me? Because you and I, we should be affecting eternity with our witness. Our purpose is to affect all of eternity, not for ourselves, not because we're cool, because that's our calling. If you remember, point number one is that every Christian has a kingdom call to bear witness. Our first purpose is to bring witness and bear witness about Jesus, just like John the Baptist. His purpose was to point to Christ and away from himself, and he did it as often as he could. As we'll see next week, another way of being effective uh, witnesses in this world is when we see Christ, we point him out. But there is a specific calling and specific purpose for each and every one of us. 
Because as believers, you have a role in the kingdom beyond church attendance. Your Christian purpose is not just to come to church. If you feel like that, man, I've done my Christian duty, my Christian purpose is to show up at church and tithe, those are really good things and we're called to do those. Those are things that we should continue. But my friends, there is so much more. There's so much more than that. Are you living into your kingdom purpose? Are you having eternal ramifications with your life and with your words? Because if not, you can be. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can affect eternity for the glory of Jesus Christ. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Finally, I want to leave us with this point that we were created on purpose for a purpose. We were created on purpose for a purpose. John the Baptist understood his purpose. He understood that he was created for a purpose. And he lived into that purpose, glorifying and pointing to the coming Messiah. Understanding that he was to clear the way, to call for repentance, to usher in the new exodus. Now, not all of us are going to have that great of a glorious path. (laughs) But we do have a kingdom purpose. How has God designed you? How has God created you? As you look at the story of John the Baptist, may it encourage you to ask that very question. May we be effective witnesses in this world for the glory of our King. We can only do that understanding that we are not the King. We know who we are and we live into our purpose. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit will fill us with humility so that we will be directed to our identity and that then we will be directed to our kingdom purpose. May we choose humility, seek to know our identity and live into our kingdom purpose. Father, I thank you for the witness of John the Baptist and showing us how to be effective witnesses in this world. I pray that you'll transform our lives. And may we live into the purpose for the kingdom that you've given us. And may our very lives glorify you so greatly that people have to ask questions. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.